radio for the Agile community. www.agile.fm Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Agile FM. Uh, today I have two guests with me. I have Ralph Jockham and Don McReal. Ralph is with Effective Agile and his Twitter handle is R-J-O-A-C-H-A-M and Don McReal is with Improving and he has a website you might be very, very familiar with, The Tasty Cupcakes. Uh, Don McReal's Twitter handle is Don, M-C-G-R-E-A-L. The reason why we're here today is with these two professional scrum trainers is they uh, released a book and that book um, is hitting uh, the marketplace on the 14th of June 2018. It's on pre-order right now and the book is about professional product owner. That is the title of the book. It's uh, First of all, welcome to the podcast, both of you. Hey. Thanks, Joe. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yes, so we want to talk a little bit about the, the book, obviously, but we want to use the book as uh, to, just to frame a conversation a little bit about uh, product ownership in, in, in general. So, Ralph, you are based out of Switzerland and Don out of uh, Texas uh, in the United States. Um, I have a few logistical questions here. How long have you worked on this book together? Well, it's been a year and a half, would you say? Ralph, maybe a little bit longer than that. It's long. I mean, it depends a little bit how, if you really could compress the time. So we started off in May 2016. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember because I was at the Scrum Day London conference and uh, I was having a chat with Don West, who was the CEO of uh, Scrum.org. And at some yeah. point, he, uh, he clearly hinted at me, hey, Ralph, we, and, and Don and I, we both are the stewards for the PSPO product on a training material at Scrum.org. So he basically hinted at me, hey, Ralph, I think we need a good book about product ownership. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I just said, well, uh, I was toying with the idea about writing a book for some time. And this was like, clearly like, that's it. Mm -hmm. But I was a little bit afraid of doing it completely on my own. And so I reached out to Don and just, hey, Don, Dave, talk to me. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you feel about writing a book with me? And this is how all, the whole thing started. Right. Awesome. So how, how um, from a writing's perspective, how did this all work out between the Switzerland and the United States? Uh, just a typical distributed challenges or how did you overcome the, well, the writing? We uh, basically it was between the two main tools was Skype and Google Docs mm -hmm. and we were doing a lot of pair writing. Like we did, a, I think, much better than I ever anticipated. We were literally writing stuff at the same time over Skype in mm -hmm. the same document with Google. Right. Um, and we, we kept a pretty good cadence, you know, almost every week we got together for at least a few hours, spent a lot of time in, in early mornings on weekends, then it was afternoon for Ralph, or I would take a lunch break while he was at home, maybe in a hotel room, mm -hmm. <laughs> while he was teaching a class. Mm -hmm. And we did a pretty good job of just every time we finished a meeting, we would just schedule the next one. And I think by the end of it, how many did we have? Uh, 70 something So meetings? I kept track of that. I think we have 73, if I don't miscount it, so 70 three Skype calls and some of them lasted only one hour. Some of them lasted maybe five hours, something <laughs> like that. So gives you some idea. Yeah. Intense. A work day after a work day then. Um, yeah. After it teaching. Is a, yeah. Awesome. yeah. And, and uh, we're both, like Ralph is the busiest uh, trainer in the world for scrum.org. Mm -hmm. He taught like 70, last year taught a thousand people in 70 something classes. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I really admire his discipline, which gave me a lot of energy to uh, keep going and right. keep my end of the, bar the bargain up too. 
Yeah, so distribution was not a um, a big obstacle, and uh, actually you used that to your advantage of uh, pushing yeah. each other. Awesome. And there was there was a time where we decided we got to get face to face. So he he flew over to Texas for about ten days, and we we'll, we actually went we flew to California together. We taught a coach taught a class out there mm -hmm. um, during that time. But we spent you know the weekends, and and we took I took some time off just to focus on this mm -hmm. uh, on the book face to face, and that was a big huge burden, uh, mm -hmm. boost to the writing. Yeah. So the book is and, and I remember so. When when I arrived, so Don picked me up at the airport. Uh, he dropped me off my t hotel. We had a beer, and then he said, "Yeah, I have a plan." So tomorrow we go about this chapter. So kind of every day a chapter thing. <laughs> so first three days were over, and we haven't even finished the first chapter. Wow! Um, oh wow! Kind of. But, so my plan suddenly, was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My plan was that I had written out was in the in that Saturday we would finish the first chapter, which we had already written part of it. But that actually took, that actually took a week. Yeah. So yeah, the value of estimations, right? Value of estimation yeah. and uh, inspection too, right? And <laughs> adaptation. When, exactly. What, how much is the plan worth? Uh, but it's a good starting point, right? It's good to ink things yeah. in and have a and have a goal. Mm -hmm. um, so the book is in the professional uh, Scrum series. Um, I think that's why it's called Professional Product Owner. But what's so special about the word professional in front of the product owner, somebody who might be interested in product ownership, they're going to find this book on Amazon. Now they see the word professional in front of it. Why is that so important for you guys? So it's, go it's ahead. Kind of two, yeah. It's kind of two double faceted because uh, there's also pro professional is a big part of the scrum.org mission, right? Make creating more of a profession out of software, which, um, we've come, you know, this is an industry where we take people r right out of college and, and go, you coded in HTML before here's a multimillion dollar project. Like we don't, we don't really have the checks and balances that a lot of under indus uh, other industries do. Mm -hmm. But then deeper than that, we've noticed just specifically on the product owner side, um, a lot of very, very common anti-patterns out there when it comes to, um, product ownership. And we really wanted to set the record straight i guess and that was sort of the theme in the class that we've been teaching so much and we, we figured this book would be a perfect companion to the professional scrum product owner class mm -hmm. and it really is about let's let's move away from a product owner's job just being about writing up user stories and getting the deep and answering questions all the time mm -hmm. uh, they're not they're, they're not the secretary they're not the scribe for the team this is a much more strategic product management role um mm -hmm. it, and that was a big theme that we wanted to get right off the bat we don't even cover scrum until Chapter five, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, the, the first yeah. part is is uh, is is strategic. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's really about you know being professional, kind of going from a really strategic point of view, but also kind of really try to tie it into you know, producing value. I think product ownership is really to a strong degree about really kind of customer happiness, you know, mm -hmm. producing value, and, and and we all think kind of the way Don said it. This ties back because scrum is everywhere these days but so many people they just do mechanical scrum the way we think about it and i think that we are still lacking a certain degree of professionalism mm -hmm. in that field yeah the, the the subtitle i mean it also gives a lot of way right leveraging scrum as a competitive advantage uh, why do you think this is um uh, so important these days for for companies this competitive advantage we see a lot about that on the bookshelf around scrum uh, but yeah. why in particular product ownership? How does that fit into that gap? It, we very we thought about that title a lot. We didn't want to put Scrum in the main piece because this is about product ownership with or without Scrum or product management. You know, mm -hmm. and, and 
Um, but we wanted to change the perception of Scrum. We didn't want Scrum to be seen as it so often is, as, as some project management tool that you give IT so they get their act together. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is not that. It was never meant to be that. And it's something Ken Trevor and Jeff Sutherland wrote about in their software in 30 days book. It is, this is a competitive advantage. So this is about the product owner role. Or imagine a true product manager wanting to be a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. This is about presenting Scrum in a different way to show that this is the fact that we have something that you can actually ship every sprint. Now, how do you leverage that to validate your hypotheses against the marketplace? Mm-hmm. How do you take what Scrum gives you to create a competitive advantage for your product and your organization? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but- to a big degree, I think this, this all separates between you know, being pre-product and post-product. I mean, essentially, professionalism and value and competitive advantage is all about having built a product which you can deliver, ship into the marketplace and collect feedback, whether it's the right or wrong one, and then you can basically inspect and adapt. But again, what Don also said about, you know, Scrum is just a way as to manage projects, but this is like, you measure things beforehand, like, I don't know, lines of co-produced stories completed and things like that. And this only indicates progress, but it doesn't give you any idea whether you have already value. Mm-hmm. And for value, you need to have a release. And, and we think kind of this is what we also really try to combine under the, the aspect of professional product ownership and, uh, and the generation of value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. I'm here with uh, Ralph uh, Chockham and Don McReal, and we're talking about the new book, Professional Product Owner. And uh, we, we're going to touch a little bit on product, uh, the role of a product owner and product ownership more a little bit in general in just a moment. Do you enjoy Agile FM and listen to the episodes on a regular basis? Especially since this podcast is dedicated to Agile, feedback is important. Give us a quick rating or leave a brief review on iTunes. If you'd like to comment on a specific episode, visit the show page on agile.fm. Thank you. Welcome back. I'm here with uh, Ralph Jockham and Don McReal, and we just spoke a little bit about the book. We talked about the subtitle of a professional product owner, which was leveraging Scrum as a competitive advantage. Um, what's also interesting is, and it basically is a, also a manifest to how old the agile uh, industry already is at this point, but together you have 40 plus years of experience um, in agile projects or development uh, of some sort. That's quite a bit. Um, I would like to ask you guys, what has changed in the role of a product owner? What have you seen has changed in the role of a product owner over all these years? You have been exposed to that. Um, you know, I remember the early days uh, of Scrum and Agile, and there's a lot of stuff out there now, but any thoughts around the years and years and how that has changed or shaped that role? So for me, it... it when I read Kent Beck's book, Extreme Programming Explained Embrace Change, this was kind of, I was kind of started more off from an extreme programming background, and then I probably added Scrum to the mixture around 2001. And I mean, by this time, I was still uh, a programmer, mm. and I saw everything from a fairly technical point of view, like with engineering practices. I and mean, this is all very important, and it still is, this doesn't uh, change. And and then suddenly this process part about working in sprint and then the scrum master who makes all of facilitates that makes all of that happen works with the team removes impediments and but somehow for me it took really like another two three years until I realized how important the product owner is in this whole mixture I mean 
assuming you have this perfect development team who's really good in engineering, they really know what they do, what everything they touched, it, it works. But at the end of the day, if you build the wrong product, it's still all in vain, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And what I've noticed the big shift over the years has been, you know, the whole lean startup movement and design thinking, lean UX, and it all converges on this idea of um, the startup mindset but not for startup companies, for big companies adopting it. Mm-hmm. And because uh, big companies are now afraid, they're, <laughs> they're scared. They're seeing like these huge monster companies that have been, you know, the market leaders forever mm-hmm. are now being uh, usurped by startup companies, you know, like the Uber with $68 billion valuation mm-hmm. or Airbnb, which is threatening some of these well-established hotels that have been around forever. This no company, no matter how big, is safe. Uh, technology now is, is is positioning smaller companies to just take that space from the S&P 500 has never been as volatile as it is right now. Mm-hmm. And you see it in the executives now are talking about digital as a new buzzword. And they have chief digital officers. And, and I think product, true agile product management is a key point to this. Is like, let's act like a startup company, even in a big company. Let's um, let's put out some hypothesis. Let's create some experiments. Mm-hmm. Let's test it, and let's let's make create smart risks. Um, otherwise, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, what what makes this what makes this role so different, though, um, in in Scrum? Uh, there, there's it's a role, right? And there are different kind of roles. Um, there, the role of a product owner. What I often see is people say, yeah, I'm the product manager, you know, but the, the role doesn't exist, right, in Scrum, so you're the product owner. Some folks see themselves as project managers. Some refer to them as, you know, I have a team that works for me. Um, and the role is very, very different. Uh, maybe you just want to outline the, to the listeners here the role of a product owner and, and why this is so important and why yeah. is that so different to product managers or project managers. I like to talk about titles versus roles. Mm -hmm. So you might have a title of a product manager or maybe have a title of a project manager or maybe a business analyst. Ultimately, I don't really care what that title is. It might mean very different things in different organizations. But the role of a product owner, um, the way we define it in the book, you probably heard us, like Ralph's mentioned it and I've mentioned a few of them. We've been using these three words, these, uh, these three Vs we call them, vision, value and validation Mm -hmm. and to us that sums up that role a product owner's job is to is to fill in those gaps um, uh, that we have so often with where the organization's heading and what the team members are doing day Mm -hmm. in and day out and we do that with the three b's so it's um, establishing a vision is the first v establishing and communicating that vision making sure everybody's aware of it and reminding them of what this vision is constantly pulling us back towards it uh, the second one is uh, is is value. Um, mm-hmm. How do we know when we're successful? How do we measure it? Um, what are we trying to change, and do we know if it's changing? Um, and then the, the last one is validation. You know, in this crazy world, do we even know we're building the right thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's kind of impossible now. So what are what's our plan to validate? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't just be some basic release plan. What are some things we can do to get out there and validate internally with our experts, but also externally with the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And so, so if that, if that's where your passion is, I don't care what your title is. If that's what you want to do, then that to me is the product owner. A product owner is a true agile product manager. Mm-hmm. That's the way I've been looking at it. Right. Yeah. Very good. And, and I think this is really like 
changing over the time because you mentioned project management. I think like the first 10 years after the 2000s, like 2005, 6, 7 and so on, most people still thought in projects and you had like, you know, something to do within the project, but we really want to get away from this project mindset to a product mindset because that is essentially, because you have a vision about a product and a product could be pretty much anything. It could be a service, a physical product, and then and, and and you have an idea about what you want to achieve and then you bring this into your, your your product with which you want to deliver value and then you have to really close that feedback loop through mm-hmm. validation. Mm-hmm. And and I think kind of all of this ties together to really an entrepreneurial mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's what's the location, location, location for real estate is vision value validation for product owners. You wanna see it yeah. this way, right? Um I have a question for you uh, guys, and this is a little bit where we talk about Scrum and product ownership, but also how we tie it to to the book and what readers can expect from that book. Scrum is pretty silent on how backlogs emerge in the first place, that there is a backlog and it's being prioritized and so forth. But um, obviously there's a ton of tools and techniques out there. Um, uh, You can read up or watch on YouTube and so forth about uh, product ownership. But um, Scrum has stayed pretty silent around the, the process, or there is nothing about how backlog actually emerges uh, because it's a framework, right? But what can readers expect from the book? How to fill that gap, or um, you know, have techniques to to come up with a backlog in the first place? So one of the things we also kind of uh, address really early on in the book is that usually every company has a, a vision where they want to go, where they see themselves, let's say five years down the road with digitalizations. And and from that, they, they basically derive a, a business strategy and, and then they take that strategy combined with their vision and that they turn that into possible products and product candidates and so on. And and then underneath we have Scrum. And I think from a, from a Scrum perspective, from a technology perspective, we have understood how to build good products so the way I often describe it in my classes is the head knows where it wants to go. The feet would know how to get there. But in between, there's a disconnect, there's a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And if you're not really, we all know from physics class that a vacuum has the inner it needs to fill itself. And if you're not really careful, this vacuum fills itself with busy work, mundane reports, status, uh, milestones, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And this is also something that we see that this gap, this vacuum needs to be filled through proper product ownership. So that means that our agile product manager, product owner actually reaches up into the higher levels of the company to really understand what they want, what they want to achieve, where they want to go and bring that knowledge into the development team or teams if it's a bigger product. So really kind of connect and Mm -hmm. bridge the vacuum. Mm -hmm. So there's there's some techniques in in the book to come from vision and connect the vision uh, techniques for how to develop a vision in an agile fashion and uh, how to come up with an initial backlog for for sprint. Yeah, one. we mm-hmm. we uh, we talked about when we covered the in our product backlog management uh, section. Um, we we really try to describe the backlog as you know uh, a to do list, just like your to do list don't have all the details needed to accomplish it. It is, it is a way of working through just to make sure we don't forget things. How you actually populate it is up to you, but he, but we do show some, um, we do give some suggestions and some examples. So we do cover user stories. 
um, because you know reading the book is likely something that you're going to have to know about. But we make sure they understand that user stories are not part of Scrum. There's not one template to write user stories with. Mm-hmm. It's really about the conversations that you're creating from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do cover that, and we also have this uh, technique where we show um, how. It, it, we do talk about story mapping, but in the other sense, we try to tie back everything in the product backlog back to the value propositions that we identified from the uh, value chapter. Mm-hmm. So in the value chapter, we talk about uh, business modeling and establishing value propositions for customer segments. Mm-hmm. And then when they're building their product backlog, we're asking them to then justify which value propositions each uh, product backlog item aligns to. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, then we need to be able to justify that. Or if there are some value propositions that aren't represented in the product backlog, then that's something that they should be concerned with. Mm-hmm. So we still try to bring that strategic view of a product backlog in and, and, and sort of lower the, 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 the need for the mechanics of how to write, you know, how to fill in a user story template mm-hmm. like as they want to. So that, that, that it takes sort of a secondary role to, the, to tying everything back to vision. Mm-hmm. But I, I do have a question, and the, the answer might be a simple uh, no, right? But uh, I do, I do want to ask it. While you guys were going through the writing process together, and uh, Ralph, you're based out of Switzerland, and Don, you're based out of the U.S., did you see while writing together and pairing together any kind of differences, uh, cultural differences, or uh, between you know the two countries where you guys operate in and teach a lot when you actually wrote the book and, and saw like product ownership might be there might be nuances or differences uh, in product ownership in Germany or Switzerland or Europe in general versus the United States? I think the short answer is yes. Oh, okay. Um, so maybe let me just, you know, I'm from Switzerland. In Switzerland, you know, they're famous for their excellent mechanical watches they create. So they really like precision and, you know, details. And So there's a little bit of a, of a, of a tendency to overplan the product backlog um whereas at least my experiences with the u.s is there's more like oh well, let's give it a try would you agree with that don yeah absolutely and i don't know if i would equate it necessarily to the cultural stuff but it might also be our styles as well but i think it does have something to do with that and um there was plenty of time what was really kind of eye-opening writing the book is that we needed to be able to converge on certain things. And you get two ag- experienced agilists in a room. They're not going to agree on every little thing. But those conversations that we had, I think the end result became even better. Like that's where like the three Vs come out, came out of. It was like a, a bit of a debate um, or, you know, the important, should we put user stories in? Should we not? And, you know, there was a lot of how much emphasis should we put on like the Kinevin model and complexity and, um, a lot of our conversations were like that. And I think maybe it's, it is a little bit more of the North American or Texas culture. Mm-hmm. But I found that a lot of the times the conversation was like Ralph was a prolific writer. He would write all sorts of things. And a lot of times I was saying, let's cut this in half or let's mm-hmm. let's remove this. Do we really need to even talk about this? Do we need that level of detail? Or I don't agree with every little piece of this. So should we just get rid of it? Um, and I was trying to rip too much out. And I think what we settled on, we, we ended up with a good, good sort of middle ground that, mm-hmm. that worked out really yeah. well. Yeah. And there's some things I think even in the book that w- one of the things that we did was we decided to do these little call outs every, to, to talk about our own stories, or our own experiment. So whenever there wasn't necessarily a converged agreement on something, 
we could we create these little blurbs. You see our little faces. We have little cartoon characters of our heads, <laughs> and uh, and we can talk about our experiences and our thoughts. And and I think that helped us a lot of to, mm-hmm. to just kind of break ourselves out of that. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. I gave gave recently uh, a talk, and I asked uh, like just the audience, I asked them how many of you guys use user stories, and a lot of hands went up. I uh, asked the follow-up question, how many of you guys have a definition of done? Less hands went up. Uh, I asked how many have a definition of ready, and hardly any went up. Do you think those things are important, and um, is, is there any, any mentioning of that in, in your work? Actually, there is. So, uh, definition of done is really important. And, and I phrase my question slightly different. So, who of you is using Scrum? Many hands go up, pretty much all usually. So, who of you has a definition of done? A couple of hands go down, which is good that most people are, are thinking about what done means. But then I ask the question who of you is doing proper refinement? And then mm. less hands are there. <laughs> so, definition of ready. Actually, I, I'm not that much of a proponent for that. So I'm not pro or fighting it against or fighting it. It's for me. It's more like if somebody wants to work with it, fair enough. For me, ready, however, is is a mindset. It's is a mindset, a, a mental state that the development team needs to reach by having enough conversation, like the card conversation confirmation. And at some point, they say we are ready to do it. And at this point, it's a candidate which can be put into a sprint. Uh, and sometimes ready means lots of details. Uh, we talk about specification by example in the book as well. Or maybe sometimes ready means two words and everybody knows what it means. Mm-hmm. And and the, the risk with having, in my opinion, I think of the don'ts is that if you have a definition of ready, it becomes contractual. You might, I have seen developers saying, we're not taking on this product backlog item. Why? You understand it. Yes, but this check mark is missing. We're not doing it. Yeah, but by yeah. by having this conversation in the forefront, it's really about you know individuals and interactions over processes and tools. And at some point, the developer says, "Okay, we can do it." And this also means you can wing something in. Maybe in the last moment, something came up in the sprint review. The next day, you have the sprint planning. It's just the yeah. Anyway, let's give it a shot. Mm-hmm. We want to go for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you'll find that, and and it, I I kind of understand why so many hands go up with user stories because it seems so simple, right? Mm-hmm. Especially since the template was introduced. You know, like you said, oh, I just have to fill in the blanks. They're not doing the difficult work. That's why. But when we say build a definition of done and then adhere to it, it's like, oh, that sounds like a lot. We have to agree on something. We have to then follow it and, and, and use it a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the lesson. And then, but it is something that is talked about in scrum it's part of the scrum guide and being done at the end of a sprint is a core element of scrum so it's important and like exactly what ralph said we, we we have a section in this about ready Red, being ready is important but using it as a contract is anti-agile mm-hmm. right it's about customer collaboration over contract negotiation so how so we ask in the book if you're a product owner and you dream up of something the night before sprint planning and it's like this new revolutionary thing that's going to take advantage of a market opportunity mm-hmm. and you rush into the sprint planning with this all excited and you want the team to take this on maybe because it's the most important thing. What would be the most agile thing for the team to do mm-hmm. to say, no, go back and write some more acceptance criteria yeah. or to say, we don't know much about this, but if you're going to stick around and help us with it, we're willing to take it on. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a good trusting environment and not just adhering to a definition already in a contractual way. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, that's the danger we've seen 
uh, with with the definition of ready. Yeah, it's an important goal. It's a good goal to have during refinement to yes. get to ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it shouldn't be a contract. It shouldn't be held up as a yes/no thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right, that's that's a good that's a good uh, viewpoint here. Ready as a as a mindset. Let me ask you similarly um, along those lines. Complexity, right? So we have Scrum is it's doing very very well in the at the edge of you know complexity like complex projects or most of IT projects fall into that category but what does complexity do to the role of a product owner and um, you know what are the what's associated with that uh, kind of role and, and work around complex projects what is, what is what's extra here for the role of a product owner what does that complexity do to that role well, we we define complexity as I guess uncertainty, right? Um, and and so you, nobody knows the outcome of what we're building. And in that case, an empirical process is key. Mm-hmm. Um, Scrum is is, is a, uses an empirical uh, process control, and it allows us. I guess the key things we're looking for there is to create transparency so that we can inspect and adapt all elements that could be considered wasteful when everything is known in a defined mm-hmm. non-complex thing. It's like, what do we, why do we need to stop and look at this and get feedback when we know what we're building? Mm-hmm. I'm building a car. I'm not going to stop halfway through just to make sure that the customer is good with the steering wheel we just put in. They just test drove it. They know what they want. So that can be considered wasteful, but in a complex world, um, like software typically is, uh, we need to set up a situation where we create transparency, inspect, and adapt. Mm-hmm. And you can see that mapping very closely to vision value validation. Mm-hmm. Vision allows you not to have to define all the details, but so that makes sure everybody's working towards the same goal and they have the autonomy to figure out how. Um, value reminds us of of, of uh, how, how we define success because this what we're trying to do here is our customers have needs. They don't know what to, how to solve them, and there's lots of ways to solve them. Mm-hmm. So defining value describes the needs, and then we can watch the value metrics mm-hmm. differ the way, in the way we hope them to. And then finally, the validation in a complex world is you don't know if we're doing the right thing. So Scrum provides us with the ability for a product owner to test out their hypothesis, which therefore manages risk mm. before it's too late. Yeah, Ralph, I don't know if you had any additional thoughts on, on complexity or... I mean, yeah, the thing is then kind of often, yeah, as a product owner, or let's say you have something and you show something in your sprint review and your client tells you, oh, well, that's great, but that's not what I wanted. Uh, this is the, the complex is also defined through the unknown, un- uh, the unknown unknowns, the things we don't even know that we don't know them yet. So again, mm-hmm. this is one of the, the other aspects why we have to have those, those empirical process controls with built-in feedback loops so that we can essentially emerge and discover what is the right technology. I mean, as a product owner, you have technical risks you need to tackle, mm. but maybe also feature risks. You don't even know about all the features which a customer really wants. And and this is, for me, in that regard, the product backlog is actually active risk management. You can't handle mm. everything with your product backlog. You can handle a big chunk of it with your product backlog, the right order of your product backlog, and your definition of none. Other things are still outside of that, but this is really active uh, risk management, in my my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe just going to back what what Donchard said also about the vision, you know, about having a clear goal and but not really knowing the path yet. And in that regard, I think this is really this is also the mechanisms about how you can really scale Scrum if you build a big product with several teams, because at some point, you know, 
writing user stories for, for seven, eight, nine development teams doesn't work anymore. Mm. You have to delegate that. You have to delegate that responsibility to the development team. But And I call that uh, sprint goal-driven development. You give them maybe the next sprint goal, maybe an idea about what the next sprint goal after that could be. And you tell the teams, you guys, go ahead, figure out what you would do in that regard and show it to me and I'll see what I think about it. Mm-hmm. And then you provide feedback and that really makes suddenly refinement much more powerful. Yeah, definitely. That, yeah, that reminds me of a of a cool analogy that um, Ralph came up with for the book. He's like visions like the th- the the string or the thread mm. that gives you direction, and then value are the pearls that you're putting on it mm. uh, over time. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, towards the end of our podcast here, I I want to ask you a question around the the role and the challenges of the the role of the product owner as a as a whole. You have been writing about this now for a long time. Uh, you have been teaching this for a while. You are in, 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 a lot of, in front of a lot of students. Um, maybe somebody's listening to this right now uh, in the role of a product owner who wants to become a product owner. Or maybe it's somebody who is listening to this who is interfacing with the role of a product owner. But after all these years and the writing, maybe it's something we have talked about it already on this podcast, but what stands out to you as a, as a real product owner challenge? And I want to make this like uh, make people feel comfortable. It's like you're not alone out there. Maybe there's something where you feel like this is a typical um, uh, thing, um, uh, students and, and people you have worked with in the past, which stands out as a typical product owner challenge. And maybe that's addressed in the book. And maybe there is something in there where you get some guidance around it. But just want to hear your, it's more like your personal thing here, right? Um, what do you feel like is, is the challenge for product owners? Um. I, I guess I could I could kick it off. Um, there's a, there's a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones that we, we there's there's one section where we really talk about you know where you see yourselves as a product owner. Are you the one receiving requirements and people are asking you to do things and you're just taking that to the team or writing it for the team? You're more that scribe or secretary that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, or do you find yourself as just the go-between person, the, the person that transports them back and forth? We call that the proxy. Mm-hmm. Um, both of these are more on the receiving side, and we see that that's a huge, um, um, uh, very common pattern that we see out there in organ- especially larger organizations. Mm-hmm. And, and all that does is create more delays, and it's hard to create the vision uh, in, in that sense or to hold the vision mm-hmm. when you find yourself in that. So we talk about more practical ways of moving up that chain to be more of a business representative, to understand more about the, the knowledge in the domain or have more knowledge around the domain. Um, and start being a source for requirements, uh, start initiating new ideas um, instead. And and then talking about get even further up, try to move into more of the sponsorship level where you uh, have access to the budget. Do you even know what the budget is? Mm. How many, I ask this question all the time, is how many of you know how much your sprints cost? Right. And it's not a difficult thing to come up with, but it's something that really describes a product owner is because this is about value. It's about return on investment. Mm-hmm. How do you know the return? How do you measure return without knowing what you're spending? So do you know what you're spending costing? And now do you feel you've gotten your money's worth every sprint? And that gets you into that more entrepreneurial mindset. So moving up that chain from scribe to proxy to business rep to sponsor to entrepreneur um, is, is, is the challenge I find that's out there. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's some very practical ways of just moving up, up that mm-hmm. ladder. Okay. And I think kind of what also Don said with the, the scribe and the proxy more towards uh, on the left-hand side, kind of uh, on the scale of being the receivers, 
that also aligns more with the classical project management mindset because you get something to get some scope, schedule, and budget, and you just have to make it happen somehow within that. Uh, and uh, it's funny because I have one exercise uh, I'm, I'm using in my, in my Scrum training since about managing budget, and everybody just puts it to the product owner. And, you know, it's, they never have a problem with that. But once in the training you talk about, hey, the product owner is also responsible for the budget because this person owns the product, they suddenly look at you. Mm-hmm. And they say, yeah, but this is not how it works for us. And it's just about how can you make judgment call about features? Maybe you have a feature which is really valuable in another one. But then suddenly it becomes interesting how much effort, how much is probably one of those costing. And then you can order your product backlog better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, this is an awesome idea. And uh, thanks for the example, and uh, Ralph. And uh, I just uh, I want to be honest, though. I just want to say this was an awesome uh, conversation about product ownership. And uh, whoever listened to that might have got some new ideas um, out of uh, this podcast, but also... Um, a possibly good good reason to pick up a book, uh, this book, a Professional Product Owner, available on the 14th of June on, on Amazon, and it's on pre-order already. I uh, just want to say one more time, thank you to, uh, to Ralph Jockham uh, from Effective Agile, and Don McReal from Improving, and the Tasty Cupcakes, uh, wonderful website uh, for facilitation techniques. I want to say thanks for, for your time and, and sharing your thoughts, and um, Good luck with the book, uh, and uh, there's got to be a launch party or something like that. Is there anything in the making? Yeah, Ralph, we need to get together and uh, and uh, have a few uh, a few pints. We talked about that before, but things have been so crazy. <laughs> yeah, but I think they've been so busy at the end. At some point, the book is done, and you're just happy it's done, and then you kind of forget about that. But uh, we, but Don and I, we both talk at Agile 2018 in, in San Diego, so that's a chance for us to you know. Yeah, that'll be a large party. Yeah, you're all there. It's going to be a large party. (laughs) Get your credit card ready. Thank you, both of you. (laughs) I'll open a tab. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.com. FM. Talk to you soon.